Today we're in the 13th chapter of the book of Hebrews, and um, boy, not too many sermons left in the book of Hebrews. Just uh, We're coming to the end of the book, and we have done 12 wonderful chapters, and now we're in the final chapter of the book of, uh, of Hebrews. And as I mentioned last week, it is a common New Testament practice for the writers, especially Peter, Paul, and Mary, no, Peter and Paul, and, um, and the writer to the Hebrews, who I have no idea who that is, um, and it doesn't matter, but um, that they, they pack the first half of their, of their writings with doctrine. Awesome, beautiful doctrine. And I don't know if you, where's, Dylan, are you around? There you are. What great songs we sing this morning. I'm over there sitting down just thinking, these words are like concrete. I mean, they are powerful. Doctrine, the truth about Christianity, the truth about who Jesus is and, and what he did for us on the cross and his resurrection and his return and, and all of these heavy, weighty doctrines about our 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 perfection in the eyes of God through Christ, which we really need because I don't know if you've noticed lately, but you're not perfect, you know, in your behavior, but in Christ, in the sight of God. Are we perfect, yes or no? We are. Thank goodness. But then after all of those heavy doctrines in the first parts of the books, he goes to practice. And, it, you know, I'm going to put it in a very, you know, I don't know if it's slang, but in a, in a, in a way you can understand. It's kind of like, what are you going to do about it? You've got all of this, this, all of this, these things that God has done and who he is and what we are. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to respond in, in the way that we should act, or are you just going to blow it off? No, we don't want to blow it off. How could we ever blow off the Holy Son of God and all that God has done? And so we're in the what are you going to do about it stage of the book of Hebrews. And you find that in so many books, practical application of the powerful doctrines of Scripture. And so part one last week was how to act towards each other. And we were told to love each other. We were told to display hospitality and to pray and minister to those Christians who are being mistreated and actually imprisoned for their faith. Now today we go from how to act towards each other towards how to act towards ourselves. How do we act towards ourselves? Once we've got these, these full statements of doctrine and truth and awesome, the whole foundation of our Christian faith, well, how do, we, how do we act towards ourselves? And there's a healthy level of self-introspection every Christian ought to have. Do, you have, you, do any of you guys know, don't raise your hand, please. Any of you guys know uh, someone who just never really looks at themselves? They're always looking at other people. You know, they're always finding what's wrong with other people. Okay. Good, you didn't raise your hand. Appreciate that. I saw a few elbows like that, but I didn't know nobody raised their hand. Um, there are people, Christians like that. They don't introspect. And I'm not talking about this morbid, onion-peeling introspection that never ends, but they don't think about themselves and what God is saying to do. So we're going to look at ourselves today, and it's going to be healthy because the stakes are high. Number one, how to act towards ourselves. That's the title of the message Final Exhortations, Part 2, How to Act Towards Ourselves. There are four directives, four directives that God gives us and how we ought to act towards ourselves in, in this final group of exhortations. Number one, 
And by the way, I need to say this. If you do this, these four directives, because I thought about this a lot this week, you guys. If you do this, if you do this, you will be spiritually prosperous all the way till your, your last breath of life. You will end well. And it's just four things, okay? Number one, we need to have a high view of marriage. You think, what? Well, look at verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all. We're shifting from each other to ourselves. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. We need to have a high view of marriage. If you want a good picture of what marriage is, if anybody says, well, what is marriage? Then you need to only go to the first book of the Bible. And it's interesting in all of the created things that God did, all of the, the creative things that God did, um, he uh, put marriage right after pretty much his whole creation. And so God has this really, really high view of marriage, and we ought to, too, for a number of reasons. And Jesus repeats what God says in Genesis up at Matthew 19. So Matthew 19, 4 through 6, I want you to listen to this. Um, Jesus said, haven't you read? I don't know if I put, did I give this to you guys? I did not. Why not? Okay, anyway, um, <laughs> haven't you read? He replied, that at the, see my Bible, I don't have an Old Testament here. It fell off. <laughs> I've been rightly dividing the word of truth, literally, and it, and it fell off. So I read, it's at home. But Jesus said that at the beginning, Matthew 19, 1 through, or 4 through 6, you may have to use your own Bibles. Mm. Haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh, so they, no they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. For God, marriage was a union of a man and a woman. It was a, a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. Now, that doesn't always happen. And God issues forgiveness when, when it doesn't. But God's ideal if it's, you know, is that it's a lifelong covenant, and it's one man and one what? Can you define woman for me? No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> One man, <laughs> one man, and is that not crazy? Oh, I better get off my soapbox really fast. One man, one woman. Not one man and another man. That's not marriage. Not one woman and another woman. That's not marriage. Or any other. One man and five, six wives. That's not marriage. You know? Um, God did not put up with, uh, God did not, uh, uh, Sanctioned polygamy. Some people might argue in the Old Testament. He put up with it for a while, but he never sanctioned it. Any other kind of marriage between man and a woman is clearly condemned in the Bible. Okay. Now, in the church, mar marriage should be honored by all because God established it. And it just it fascinates me that, that just nearly after um, uh, uh, God created the, the heavens and the earth, what, what did he create? Marriage is just that marriage is just that important in the in God's program. I mean, think about that. All right, and 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 also Jesus uses marriage as a way to illustrate Christ and His bride, the church. 
And marriage provides companionship. It's not good for man to be alone. And children, and a, and, and a healthy, moral sexual outlet. Healthy sexual outlet. And it's a firm, marriage is a firm basis for society and for civilization. And it should be honored, that is, held in high esteem, um, deemed as precious and valuable. And it, notice here it says that um, the word honored here, okay, that means, I guess I just said it, high esteem, precious, valuable. Now, that was a novel idea in the first century. It was not uncommon for men to have m many mistresses. There were temples in cities such as Ephesus and other cities that had uh, prostitutes that men would visit frequently. It was a very immoral environment, Corinth, Ephesus, and so on. And so this was a novel idea for that first century. But it says all, all people in the church should um, honor marriage. And, and you notice as people, this doesn't mean married people. It means children should honor marriage. We parents should teach our little ones about, the, the, and, and our preteens and teens, and, and on up, that marriage is an honorable thing, okay? And we should, we should it's, it's, it's to be honored by everybody, children, single, singles, everybody. And the marriage bed should be kept pure. That's simply to say that sex should be only practiced within the boundaries of marriage, just like society does, right, around us. You say that in a secular setting, and, and you'll get some blowback on that. But it's only the bed, a marriage bed is to be kept pure, sex only within the boundaries of um, marriage. Now, why is that? Why does God have us? Here's where it gets to everybody, honor marriage. Why? Because it says here, and back in, i got to go back to Hebrews, it says God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And God's being really kind here. He's saying this is why marriage should be honored, because God, on the last day of judgment, last judgment day, will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. The adulterer is the Greek word moikos, and one theologian by the name of Thayer says it means to have unlawful sexual intercourse with another man's wife or husband. The word immoral there um, in 13.4 uh, means, um, was the Greek word pornos. It's where we get our word pornography. Robert Barclay, a really good commentator, uh, defines immorality as, in general, it's referring to unlawful and immoral sexual relationships by single or married people. It includes any kind of sex outside of marriage, premarital, extramarital, homosexual sex outside of marriage, and is immoral, is, is uh, and adulterous. And see how, do you see how the church is swimming upstream? Two people said yes. Do you see how our culture is swimming against the current? So much. We are freaks. You know, one man, one woman, you're so behind the times. Yeah, and that's where I want to stay, right there, okay? Um, so we need to guard ourselves against any other kind of marriage because God will judge them. And I just want to focus on the word God here, okay? For God will judge the adulterer and all the 
the sexually immoral. It would be one thing if it said the pastors will judge it, or the deacons, or the elders, or uh, godly people in the church will judge. No, God will judge the sexually immoral and uh, adulterous. Now, i got to let you know that um, what this means is a continual lifestyle. I mean, everybody's made mistakes, uh, sins, before they were Christians. And Satan is haunting some of you about what you did before Christ came into your life. Well, just tell him to take a long walk off a short pier because you're, you're cleansed in the blood of Christ and you're righteous in God's eyes. And even as a Christian... If you, you know, there's a difference between running into and falling, <laughs> right? And if, if we're running into something without a repentant mind and heart, and, we've, and we're continuing to do that as a lifestyle, we are going to be judged by God for that. But th- to fall and stumble uh, briefly is totally forgivable upon repentance. Uh, and he's, there's, where sin abounds, grace did what? much more abound, and God's grace will come upon you, and there will be consequences to some degree, but you will not come under God's judgment. But God is saying here that, um, that you will be judged. The word judge is the Greek word krino. It'd be per, 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 I don't know what you would call it, but in the English language, K-I, K-R-I-N-O, krino. And, and then one theologian, as I used a moment ago, says it means the act of condemning and decreeing or inflicting penalty on one now and forever. And that means hell. Hell that was created for the devil and his angels. But if a person is continually, unrepentantly immoral, uh, they will be judged by God and sent to hell. And it's interesting, in the last couple um, chapters of the whole Bible, in Revelation 21 and 22, um, that's what it says. Revelation 21, uh, 6 through 8 says, he said to me, to John, Jesus is talking to John, and he says, it is done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts and the idolaters and all liars will take place, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur, and this is the second death. With the devil and his angels, I want to stay out of that. And that's through faith in Christ, that's how we stay out of that, by God's grace. And so those people who uh, continually do that with their bodies um, are in danger of God's judgment, permanent, eternal judgment. Now you say, okay, before we get to number two here, you say, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty good girl. I mean, I never, I don't, I don't, you know, cat around and, and, uh, and do the things you just talked about. Well, you know, Jesus had something to say about that. Back in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he said in Matthew 5, 27, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you can't say amen, say, ouch. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. 
It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. And, you know, uh, we could say, you know, Mitch, you're a pretty good guy. You don't, you know, you know, you haven't stepped out on Debbie and you've been faithful to her for almost 38 years. And, um, and, and, and you're just a good guy. But have you ever thought about anything that you shouldn't? Oh, oops. See, it's not just the people that have done it with their bodies, but it's those of us that have done it with our minds. And Jesus says, don't get too self-righteous. Instead, when it comes to lust and pornography and fantasy and all of the sexual things that Satan tempts us to do, when it comes to when we click that little mouse or, or we go to that site or watch that show or read that book, and Satan's just saying, you know, offer yourself a little pleasure, what we need to do is cut off our hand and pull out our eye. No, not really. But do you see what graphic terms Jesus is talking in? He's being graphic because he's saying, and this is my particular translation, do whatever you can to keep your mind pure. And do whatever you can to keep your mind pure. If it means turning something off or disconnecting something or burning something or being more honest with your spouse and say, would you pray for me? I've asked Debbie to pray for me. And it makes the world a difference. And so, you know, and, and by the way, speaking of our search committee, where are you guys? Can I see some hands from our search committee? One guy has the guts, two, okay, has the guts to raise their hand. And um, the, we want a guy that's sexually pure. You say, oh, what are you getting talking about? The new? Do you read how many pastors are falling now? It's amazing. And we don't, we're not bulletproof, Right? It might be money, it might be power, it might be sex, it might be um, criti critical spirit. We want someone with a sweet Jesus spirit who's a man of purity. And no man or woman is perfect. Don't get me wrong, but this is not a condemning session, but let's pray for him. Okay, so everybody up, eyes up on me for just a second. This is just one of four. You're going, you're not going to do another 1130 sermon, are you? No, I'm not. But just think about it. If we just did this one thing, we'd get through life pretty well, wouldn't we? We'd shine like lights in the world. So that should be our goal. I'm not saying we're perfect. We all fail. And I'll say it again. I said it a few weeks ago. Wives, pray for your husbands in this area. And mothers, pray for your sons in this area and your daughters. Because it ain't the world we grew up in, is it? I could tell you stories. I'm not going to do that. Number two, the second way that we need to act, act towards ourselves is we need to pay special attention to our money matters. If you can handle sex, right, and you can handle money, right, you are almost at the finish line. It says here in verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? All right, let's pull, take this apart. Keep our souls free from the love of money and its companions. The love of money has companions, and the companions are greed, 
materialism, covetousness. And this is a Mitchism, but it can all be condensed down to the one thing. I want more. I want more. Newer, better, bigger, faster, prettier. I want more than what God has sovereignly predestined me to have. Did you realize that, you guys? Did you realize that God in his sovereignty has given you all the money that you need? You say, but I want more. Well, is it a legitimate need? Yes, it is. I need that Lamborghini, okay? And uh, no, that's not a legitimate need. God will, God has, think about your personality. Think about your personality, not the person sitting next to you or my personality. But God has sovereignly decreed uh, the amount of money that you have. It's food for thought, isn't it? It's food for thought. We need to keep ourselves free from the love of money. Why? Well, Jesus said it. He says it's easier for a camel to do what? To go through the eye of a needle than to, for a rich man to what? And to go to heaven. He says money is a trap. It's, it's a rainbow. You can never get to the pot of gold. Now, he, he never said there's something wrong with money here, did he? But what's wrong? The love of money. The passion for money, the greed for money, the covetousness for money. There's everything wrong with that. Jesus told parables about that. Um, I'm going to go to his parable, it's short, and then do a central scripture, and then we're going to talk about the opposite of the love for money, and that's contentment. Okay, the, the, the scripture is uh, Luke, or excuse me, yeah, Luke 12 and verse 13. And Jesus tells a parable. And he says, in verse 14, rather, or no, let's see here, verse 15. No, verse 20. No, I'm just kidding. Verse 15 here. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. So there's more than one kind of greed, right? Poor people can be just as guilty of greed and covetousness and an and a, and a, and a, uh, obsession with money as rich people can. I have an acquaintance, haven't talked to them in years, who has always been poor, never been able to, just never been able to get wealthier. But they go to big box stores and they buy stuff knowing that they can't pay for it. And they take it home and they look at the box for a week or two, touch the box, read the box, and then they take it back. That's healthy, isn't it? You know, that, and they're poor, but there's rich people. I mean, there's all kinds of greed, Jesus says. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. What he should have done at that moment was give his crops away. But he said, what shall I do with all that I have? Hmm. I could tell more stories. These stories are going to get back to me. I know they are. But uh, we, we have another acquaintance. <laughs> and when they, we talk to them, they say, we have so much money, we don't know what to do with it. Literally, they said that. And I'm thinking, you know, 
And then I'm thinking, think of all the people that are starving to death. I hold my tongue. We just don't know what to do with all our money. I'm just like, dude, they're not Christians. But and then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. I'll store it. No Christian should say that. It doesn't mean you give it all away, but it, let's be generous here. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up rich things for himself but is not rich toward God. Now the signature verse of this is in 1 Timothy. I would say in the, in the whole Bible, this is the verse that, um, that I would, my go-to verse for money and stuff like that. First uh, Timothy 6, 6. First Timothy 6. I'm in First Timothy 1. Hold on a second. First Timothy 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we bought nothing into this world, and we can what? Can't take nothing out. No U-Hauls in the cemetery. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Boy, is that the one, one of the most misquoted verses in the whole Bible? Um... Some people eager for money have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And that's how we have to handle our money. That's how we ought to handle our money. It's right there. I'm not going to repeat anything more. But that's how we ought to handle our money. Okay? I'll leave it up to you to deal with it that way. But there's an equal and opposite thing we need to do, and that's just to be content with what we have. That's what it says there in Hebrews 13, I believe it's... I'm not sure what verse I'll have to go back to 13. Um, second half of verse 5. And be content with what you have. God knows how much you need. If you have a lot of money, God is saying to you, I trust you with this. And if you don't have a lot of money, God says, that's better for you. For reasons maybe you don't know. Okay. But be content with what you have. Now, being content doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you're sitting there in your house, on the couch, eating crackers and watching as the world turns or something like that. It, it, that's not what it means. Being content does not mean you're, you're not capitalizing on financial opportunities or you're not being industrious or hardworking. That, that's not what being content with what you have means. This is what being content is. Because, by the way, I want to tell you this. The world constantly seeks to make you and I discontent. Every commercial on TV, every ad in the magazine, every one of those 5,200,672 pop-ups that come up when you're on the computer every day, well, they, they, they are creating what? Discontent. You, you and I can live on almost nothing. How many people had to do that at one time? You had to live on almost nothing. You know, I think every Christian should be poor once. I think every Christian should be absolutely broke. Because then it's when you see God providing for you. 
I could tell you story after story. And, and, and uh, he wants us to be content. And the world says, man, if you don't have that truck, if you don't have that, that article of clothing, if you don't have that, the, the, that tech, tech thing, you know, then, then you don't have life itself. But here's what content is. The English word content means desiring no more than what one has. Desiring no more than what was has. The Greek literally means to be satisfied with what you have. And so when one is content, they're satisfied with what they have. They don't need more. They don't need more. And that's a rare quality. It's really rare to see a really content person, even as Christians, because we can fall into that trap of the world, flesh, and devil. Well, how can we be content with what we have? Well, he gives us the answer here before we go on to number three. He says, be content with what you have because... What's the reason? God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I refuse to read that in the NIV. Go ahead and put that up on the screen anyway, though. Hebrews 13. Something. I can't read the screen in the little number there, but it's it's verse 5. Never. I will never. I like the King Jimmy or the NASB. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You say, how can I be in Kent? Content. When you and I realize God's sovereign care over our lives. It's really simple. It's not always easy, but that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And that just doesn't mean that he's with us, which is true all the time. God's with me right here preaching. Right now, he's here with me. Don't ask me to define it in clearer terms because I don't understand it. But God is here right now with me. And he's sitting right there with you. He'll go out to the parking lot with you. He'll get in your car with you. He'll go home with you. He will go to work with you or school with you or homeschool with you. He will go wherever you go. He's, if, if you're going hiking today or doing something outside this beautiful day, and you're thinking, Mitch, will you get over so I can do that? He will go with you. It says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Amen. Amen. Never. And when that gets through our thick skulls and it drains down into our brain and into our heart, we're going to be content. No matter what amount of money we have. And it means more than just being with us all the time and not abandoning us when things get rough. It means he, if he's going to be with us, he's going to supply our needs. Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. See, I just don't know how I'm going to have enough uh, money at the end of the month. Let God worry about it. If you've been a good steward of your money, he'll take care of it. If you haven't, confess it. Trust that he's forgiven you, and God knows how to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. God is saying, I'm not always aware of what's going on in your life and with you personally, individually, at every stage, moment, and second of your life, but I know your needs and I know how to uh, meet them and if you'll just trust me, you will be content. I expected more than those two squeaky little amens at that point. (laughs) And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. 
All right. You know, these, the, he's writing to people that had already lost everything. If you go back to 1034, it said all their property was confiscated. And they're still content. If someone, if you went, if you drove home today, and this parish just thought that this would ever happen, but, and you see a group of weirdly dressed soldiers or cops or, you know, I'm not going to put cops in here because Shay's here this morning and there may be some other cops. And I don't, no, seriously, I don't want to ever put them in this context because we love our police. Amen? We love, is it Policeman's Week or Day or something like that? It was, yeah, I saw that in that thing. Thank you for serving. Um, let's just say Army sol- or some kind of weirdo soldiers. And, 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 and they change the locks on your, on your property. And you go up into the driveway and they say, um, this is no longer yours. Your acreage is not yours. Your possessions aren't yours. Your house is not yours. And by the way, get out of my car. You have nothing. That already happened. And it looked like it might happen again. And God's saying it's possible for you to be content. What in the world is God doing? He's saying, I am enough. If it's, just, if it's just Jesus and me, we can be content. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I believe it. I do. I believe it. I've been at points in my life back when I was a student where it was Jesus and me. I, I could tell you some funny stories about that. But the result of all this truth that we've just had dumped on us here is a confidence, verse 6. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, number one. He'll give me what I need in the time I need it. Number two, I won't be afraid. Fear will not rule me when I know that God's providential care is with and for me. And then number three, what can man do to me? Nothing, not if we got Jesus. Let's go on to the last two quickly. Okay, how do we treat ourselves? These four directives guarantee that we'll make it well to the very last breath have a high view of marriage and sexuality, they go together. Pay special attention to money matters. And then remember to imitate our models of faith, verse 7 and 8. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is referring to godly teachers and leaders and, and, and possibly elders and examples who originally spoke the word of God to them. In fact, it might have been the people, some of the people may have had actually seen Jesus and talked with him. Back in chapter 2, verse 3, it says, it's what he describes, the writer describes, that they had heard this from Jesus, and now they're, they, they told it to the Hebrews. Okay, and it's probably true that they died. But he says, remember these saints that from what they heard from Jesus and what they taught you. Remember says in verse 7, they spoke the word of God to you. So it says, consider, and that means in the Greek, look and look again and look again and look again and look again. Refer back to, refer back to, refer back to the outcome of their way of life, their fruitful, faithful way of life. Do you have a person you look back on? You could say that was a godly example. Do it. Do it every day. Every time you get into a, a, a tough situation. Who was that godly person? I could name some that attended here that have already gone to be with the Lord, I can name some people here that are sitting here right now that I refer back to in my mind and say, now I don't want you to know who you are, okay? Because I want your head to fit out the door when you leave today, okay? But 
I, I imitate their faith. I think about them. I say, what would so-and-so do? Because what did they do? Look at verse 8, everybody. Look at verse 8, okay? Verse 8, what did they do? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, it's funny to see these massive doctrinal statements that we take for granted and we forget the context, right? This has been used by so many theologians. Put that back up, would you? I want it to kind of stay there. But thank you. Um, this has been preached on separate from the context. Well, you're going to get the context today. Faithful people stick with the eternal Christ. That's the context. Paul said to the Corinthians, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as, a pro as I proclaim the, uh, the truth about God. My, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Great people of faith have stuck to the eternal, changeless God, the Son, Jesus Christ. That's the context. Now, theologically, it's mind-blowing because he incarnated himself into the human flesh. So, imitate people's faith, people that stuck with Jesus. Does every, anybody know a person that stuck with Jesus till the end? Okay? Stick, keep your mind on them when stuff goes off kilter. Last one here. Last one. The fourth way that we need to treat ourselves is to remember this, and this is a, a satanic tactic to ruin your life. I'm saying that up on the front end of this. And, uh, and here it is. Find strength in God's grace, not in obeying the law and rules. It is such an interesting thing to think, to see in Scripture. How many church folk start in Christ and then drift over into some kind of church or teaching that requires more than grace. The devil works really hard at telling us that we need more than Jesus. Something. Some rule. Some rule. Some law. Some tradition. Some, not, not, not that all tradition is bad, something extra besides Jesus. Not just for salvation, but for daily growth. And I'm not talking about the scriptures or anything like that, but you need one more thing. In this case here, it was some of the dietary laws in the Old Testament, the Mosaic Law. Let's read it. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods. Now, this could be anything, but in here, it's, it's, a, it's a law, and I'm going to tell you a story about this here in a second, which are of no value to those who eat them. No value. Rules, regulations, systems, formulas. The law is of no value for our, or our salvation or our sanctification, our, our, our growth. Okay? And I'll just say it again. Satan wants to add something to grace to pervert true doctrine. God was making a point here. If you want to finish well, don't add anything to Jesus. 
And don't let anybody tell you you need more than Jesus, because you don't. And it's a waste of time. It's no value. It doesn't make you holier. It just maybe you think you look holier. You know? Um, I'll tell the story, and then we'll kind of wrap her up here. Um, this is about a 20-minute story, but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, so, two weeks ago, we weren't here, and Dylan preached, right? And where did we go? What did we do? We went to, we were invited to go to our previous interim, uh, Sylvan Way Church in Bremerton, where we were for 14 months as the interim, because it was their 75th anniversary, anniversary, and we drew close to some people there, and they went through a lot. That's, that's what gives me hope about our church. You know, I, I don't know if I've told any of the search committee, but some of the same things that happened there that they had to work through, and, and, and some of the same things in getting their pastor, I've seen here. So I'm excited. I mean, I'm talking about peaks, and I'm talking about valleys. Anyway, so we were looking forward to going back. We made a lot of friends. We were loved by that church, and we love that church, except for one person. I'm not kidding. I pulled out every trick in my bag to connect, and it just didn't work out. I'm gonna, but that's not what I want to talk about. We uh, became mentors to a very young couple who had a lot of uh, stuff in their lives before they came to Christ. They were new Christians. And we poured our time and our energy in, in them, and they came into the office all the time. I'd leave my, I, I left my door open and unlocked, as I always do. And um, they came in, and we talked, and, they, and then they started to grow, and it was like, wow, this is so cool. They're breaking through, you know, and and, 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 they, and, and, and and by the looks of it, we didn't really get online too much, but we'd look back online, and, and one of them was singing in the worship team, and we thought, oh, cool. So we went back, and uh, first thing we saw them, they threw their arms around us and embraced us, and we threw our arms around them and embraced them, and it was a great uh, kind of reunion. And then I'm going to even keep this the sex um, generic because I... I just don't want to, I, I'm really careful about stories. Anyway, the, one of the, the couple, of the couple said to me, uh, we're not going to be here very much longer. We're, we're leaving. And I said, well, why? I mean, because they got like dozens of surrogate parents. It's safe. It's doctrinally sound. There's some loving people there. I'm thinking, did you get the grass is greener on the other side syndrome? You know, it's better. And and that person, one of the, the, the one of the cup of one of the couple said, uh, "We found something new." And you know, I've been around. <laughs> you know, I can. I'm really pretty good at reading between the lines. So my heart went boom, because I then I braced myself, and they told me what, where they were going, and I just and what they believed, and I just said, uh, "Can I talk with you?" And it's, this is the worst, one of the worst parts of pastoring because you might as well call me Pastor Balloon Popper right there, you know, or Pastor Party Pooper because I, I have to be the party pooper in the party. I hate it. But I love them so much I had to tell them the truth because she said, well, this place where we're going, 
we decided because of them we're not going to eat pork anymore. And I said, oh, really? Yeah, and we're going to do this. We're not going to call Jesus by his name anymore. We got a new name and some other stuff. And I thought, okay, it's time to, it's time to lay, lay the heavy lumber on them because I love them so much. And I said, well, so what did you do with Acts chapter 10 when the Lord said to Peter, he let down the sheep and all these animals that weren't kosher and said, kill and eat any of them. And Peter said, no, Lord, not me. I'll never do that. He said, you know, I'm the Lord. Peter said, amen, pass the potatoes. What, what else do we got here? Little lizard, little armadillo, whatever. Whatever you say, Lord. And he did it three times, right? You remember that? And I said this to that, the one of the couples, both of them, and, they, and, they, and this is honest truth, they went like this. They had nothing to say. They're still going to go, I guarantee you. People don't take my advice very often. And sometimes that's a good thing, you know. But they're gone. And this, these teachers could have been winsome and hat funny and, and, and the newness of something, right? And I'm thinking, you're going to get ensnared. I know they are. They're already ensnared. And that's what... The writer's saying here, don't get carried away by rules and formulas and systems and, and, and extra Christian. Christ is enough, amen? He's enough. So all we need is Christ. And it says it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What's grace? Grace is Christ. Grace is Christ regenerating us and giving us et eternal life by his grace, through the faith that he gives us, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Grace is not just for salvation, but grace is for our everyday living. It's what energizes us to grow more mature, not elbow grease, not more rules. Christ, that's grace. Grace is Christ. Christ is grace. That's Christianity. And that's how I want to end it today. <coughs> Excuse me just in time. If you follow, follow these four principles, you will end well if you're a Christian. High view of marriage and sex within the marriage relationship. <coughs> take, your, take care of your money matters. Don't be greedy. Don't hoard. Be content in Christ, not more stuff. Not, the, not buying stuff is not wrong. In other words, money's the, uh, having money's not wrong. It's when money has you. You ever hear that? That's, that's what we mean. And look out for those models that you can pattern your life after and remember. And then finally, um, find strength in God's grace, not in rules that have passed away in the old covenant of the law. Father God, Thank you for these instructions we're getting at the end of this marvelous book. How to treat each other with love, with hospitality, with prayer and empathy, and then how we treat ourselves with, by keeping those marriage, the marriage vows and the marriage pattern sacred and handling our finances. We should call it yours because it's all yours anyway. Handling your money 
the way you want. Not that we can't do fun things with it, but just not being greedy for more than you want us to have. That doesn't mean we're lazy. It just means we're not um, covetous. And then, Lord, for your grace. Grace is Christ. Christ is grace. Help us just to, to depend on him for everything. We love you, Father, for giving us these instructions, these, these uh, directives, so that we can live in a way that glorifies you. We praise you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Hey, go enjoy that unusual day today.